Well, welcome everyone to our first ever live episode of Rooted and Reaching, a podcast about startups and entrepreneurs in the South Bend Elkhart region. Thank you everyone who is here with us in the audience and thank you for showing up. I'm Bethany Hartley, I'm President and CEO of the South Bend Elkhart Regional Partnership and we have a branded initiative called Startup South Bend Elkhart. And I'm Nick Kuhn. I'm the entrepreneur in residence for Elevate Ventures, the other half of that partnership. We're so excited to be in this original Studebaker manufacturing facility, historic building, celebrating Idea Week. Today, Beth and I will be speaking with two amazing entrepreneurs, extremely different background stories, but some really interesting roots, get, get it, rooted in reaching, as well as, as uh, just ways in which they approach uh, their days and, and what entrepreneurship looks like. We're looking forward to hearing from Ramel Taylor. CEO of Millennia Strategies. Ramel, thanks so much for being here with us. Thank you. And I'd like to welcome Joel Neidig, the Director of Research and Development at ITAMCO. Joel, thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, we'd also like to thank a few people that made this happen. So South Bend City Church, thank you very much for letting us use your space for Idea Week and for our session and being so accommodating of all of our special requests for this session. Shout out to our awesome producer, Michael Yoder with TruthWorks Media. Thank you so much for making all this happen. Um, and also to the University of Notre Dame, who has done a lot of work. Jesse, great job. Thank you. Nick Swisher, thank you. The whole team. Really appreciate all of the uh, intentionality you put behind this week. Let's get into it. Yeah, so just for your awareness, our podcast, we released it last month. And so we not only do the audio recording, we also do video recording. And we are interviewing entrepreneurs and startups across the South Bend Elkhart region, which is Elkhart, St. Joe, Marshall Counties in Indiana, and Barrett and Cass in Michigan. So if you are five years or less in business, we'd love to, to learn more about your business so we can feature you on our podcast that we push out. Um, so with that, we're going to dive right in. Um, so my first question is around writing the book of Ramel. And if we were to start with chapter one, why don't you take us back a few years? Oh, wait. Before we jump in, today is Ramel's birthday. We're not going to disclose age. That's not something we do on this stage, but we, we are. I'm 35. Woo -woo. <laughs> <laughs> so with that, starting back a few years, why don't you share a little bit about your, your history, where you're from, your upbringing, if you wouldn't mind. Of course. So born and raised in this amazing city of South Bend. I have a, an amazing family of community impactors. And so my father's side of the family, um, my paternal grandmother, uh, Marguerite Taylor, she is a amazing woman. They call her Miss Mayor. Both of my grandmothers, uh, my father's mother, and then my father's mother's mother, uh, Mark or Renelda Robinson, um, they're, they've been really huge in the community. Um, the Robinson Community Learning Center is named after my great-grandmother. They both have keys to the city. My grandmother is actually getting her honorary doctorate next month from the University of Notre Dame. So I just come from a lineage of like powerful community, you know, women that just impact. And so um, on my mother's side, which was more of the entrepreneurship, so um, that grandmother, my, my mother's mother, she just, you know, owned a, a boutique in Gary, Indiana. And I remember catching the South Shore train like in seventh grade after school on Fridays by myself to, you know, help her at her boutique on the weekends. And so I just kind of got, you know, that, I guess, entrepreneur business vibe from her. Um, but yeah, just a lot of really powerful women growing up and went to John Adams High School. Any eagles in the house? But yeah, I was, you know, very big on family and, you know, always knew that I wanted to 
you know, just be something great. And that's from the, you know, women in my family. Thank you. Yes. Joel, similar question. Where did you get started? Where, what, what's your journey been in your life so far? Sure. Well, I started in manufacturing, much like the Studebaker building is. And uh, um, I, my family owned a manufacturing company, which we're still part of today, just uh, south of here in Plymouth. And uh, so I kind of grew up in the area, um, then uh, went away to school in South Carolina, and then came back to the family business and just started, uh, you know, working in all different aspects of uh, quality control, sales, um, maintenance, and um, just learning the business. Um, and so our family's always been really entrepreneurial and uh, basically um, started looking at ways to uh, go beyond just our local family business, but see how we can um, uh, kind of spin things out. And so that's how it got it started and talk more about that today. Excellent. Ramel, let's go back to you. Uh, you talked a lot about your family, community, important in your background and upbringing. How did that translate to business for you? Can you walk us through that? Yeah, so um, in my 20s, I was also a therapeutic foster parent. And so when I first opened, uh, well, my first business, Bright Beginnings Family Child Care, um, that came from just, you know, the, the need to make impact. And so I think, you know, starting a daycare, it wasn't that I had an infant and a toddler at the time. So it definitely wasn't, you know, I want to stay at home with my kids. And, you know, that was that didn't drive me. But I did want to start a business that I can make impact and that it just made sense for me. Um, so just really that desire to do something important um, that really drove me to become an entrepreneur. And because I had the background of business, you know, I studied finance and economics in college it just made it really much easier for me to grow the business quickly. And so that it just, all the other businesses just came from that. Growth, it was easy to grow the business quickly. I bet a majority of people in this audience would might disagree with that on, on a light level. Could you dive a little deeper on what growth looked like for you? How did you start and then how did you iterate and how did you continue that growth? So maybe not easy, but I think when I look back, it doesn't seem so bad now, right? So. That may have been a stretch. But yeah, I think when, when I grew the daycare, so I opened three sites in 13 months, and I realized quickly that a lot of the, like my skill set is different. And so like, because I had the background in, you know, lending, banking, you know, business structure, um, the impact, you know, the desire that was in me, it just, you know, it was, it, I felt like it was, easier for me to grow because I had that skill set. And so, you know, it just kind of took off from there. I still think you're selling yourself short. You got a lot of drive. <laughs> Appreciate it. Joel, Joel, to you, you said someone when, as we were preparing for this, I love the broom analogy. You swept the floors of the manufacturing facility. You kind of glanced over that in your intro a little bit. Can you, can you talk about how that background and maybe doing some tasks and chores you didn't enjoy translated into how you understood the company and what you and what leverage you had with an existing company? Sure. Yeah. Um, so my first job actually, like we started, I started very young, right? You know, in uh, 12 years old, first started kind of shredding papers and things like that. And then uh, my first summer job that they gave me was, uh, they gave me and my cousins some steel brushes and they said they had all these carts that were tooling carts that they had got from the Navy. And uh, they were on these, air, they were off these aircraft carriers and they just way to roll their heavy metal carts that they could roll from, you know, one site to another. Well, in manufacturing, we used a lot of the same stuff. So they were all kind of rusty and we, they wanted to paint them orange. So we, we 
and refurbish them. So we, they gave us these, you know, this was not a power tool. This is just a, a metal wire brush. And we had to brush these, you know, in July and in Indiana, you know, weather. And we know how humid and hot it gets there. Um, and so that's what we did. And uh, anyway, so it's kind of those things that you just get out there and do. And and it, and it wasn't allowed to be done inside in the air conditioning. We did it outside on the... And on the concrete and uh, all the heat, but it, you know, learn. You know, you show up, learn how to show up in the morning on time, and we, you know, it's kind of like you think of family businesses, maybe nepotism. But we had, uh, we always, were, I always worked under somebody else in the business. It was never direct, and so you were just, you know, answering to the shipping manager or whoever, and they were telling you like, "Hey, I'm not going to take it easy on you. Get out there and work, just like, and you got to show up every morning and things like that." So. I think, um, and that's, I think anybody that is, is kind of from a manufacturing background learns that that is kind of how um, it's done and it doesn't even have to be manufacturing. It could be retail, it could be anything else, but just going, showing up every morning, uh, being on time, those kind of things prepare you for um, the harder things when you have to get strategic and, but you got to start with the simplistic things. We heard a little of how Ramel got started uh, with her childcare business. You have a little bit of a different story with how you got started with Simba Chain and Atlas 3D. If you wouldn't mind sharing, just how did you go from scrubbing with a metal wire brush in July up a hill while it's snowing, right? All the things to launching these companies. What did that look like? So we had always been innovative and doing things. Um, even my dad's president of our company now and my great uncle and my grandpa, which worked at South Bend Tool and Die, which is gone now, they were always asking my dad, he was developing all this software in the 80s, and they're asking, hey, let's spin this out. Why don't we get this going? And, and it, you know, back then it was like software is kind of like production. It's, it's like how Microsoft started. You have to be able to ramp up. It's almost like manufacturing. And software got a lot more democratized as, you know, technology advanced. You're able to do smaller startups and have a bigger impact. So uh, when I came back to the company, we had we'd still been developing a lot of different things internally, and we started uh, putting apps on the App Store, which was really simplistic to do, and you could reach the entire world because you could it did auto translation and had all this capabilities. You could hit 210 countries that could immediately access your applications. So it was like the iPhone was a big deal, and so we were like one of the number one apps in manufacturing when it first uh, in like 2009, 2008 iPhone came out in 2007. And so we were getting a lot of items that way. We were selling applications, um, but just like a dollar, but we had like 65 different applications on the app store. Well, then a professor from the University of Notre Dame got in touch with us and said, hey, I see all this, you know, and I drive by your facility all the time because you're right in Plymouth. And I'm like, he's like, you're right in our back door. So back or backyard. So we said, he said, let's get together and start collaborating on some items. And there was, at that time, uh, the Obama administration, this was back in 2012, 2013, they had put out a, uh, basically, Manufacturing USA. So if you go to manufacturing.gov, you can see all these new facilities that were institutes that were built up around universities and public-private partnerships. And we started collaborating with Notre Dame, and that's how we developed some of this technology. So we looked for specifically for public-private partnerships, university-backed, things that could be patented, or licensed, and then that you could scale both like a dual utility. So it could be sold to a government or it could be sold to a private enterprise. And that's 
all basically those two businesses, Atlas 3D and SimbaChain, were both built on that premise. Ramel, similarly, uh, as Joel talked about iterating away from a traditional practice into maybe a more scalable practice or you can reach more people, can you talk a little bit about your, you started with childcare practice and you grew to a few facilities. Maybe talk through that a little bit. And then also when, when you iterated away from that or, or added towards that. Sure. So um, I started in home childcare. And so really when I built the first daycare, it was like copy and paste. So I'm, you know, you take what are your systems, what are your processes, you know, how much funding do you need, you know, all of this stuff. And then, you know, it, I was at capacity in a couple months. So I was like, okay, let me copy and paste and do it again. And so that's really how I built, you know, the three sites. And so once three sites and three different zip codes, that was really hard. <laughs> so, you know, now it's like, it wasn't that hard, like, you know, but it was difficult. Um, and so I knew that I needed to expand and have everyone under the same roof. I needed to buy commercial property. Um, and so the decisions that I made in the beginning, you know, helped propel me to, you know, get a business loan and, you know, just do, you know, commercial real estate and try to put all these pieces together. And so I think it was just the knowing in the beginning that I wanted to scale helped me to make decisions all the way through, like knowing that I wanted to not just have one, child, one home childcare program. I did want to scale. And so I, I made the decisions the entire time to be able to do that. And so that's kind of how I you know, opened four sites in two years. Uh, this is really another one of these really hot button things I would love to dive deeper in. You knew you wanted to scale. Mm -hmm. A lot of entrepreneurs, uh, their first businesses, they they have uh, they see what's in front of them. This neighborhood needs a, uh, the app store needs a, something to that effect. But you had you were looking right. further down the road. Why and how? Mm, I just knew I just didn't want to you know have one day here. I did. I knew it, I could do so much more. And so I kind of knew my capability into like Bill, I actually thought in the beginning that I would have like, you know, daycares all, like home daycares all over the city of South Bend. Like I have 20 of them. And after three, I knew like, no, that's just not a good idea. <laughs> and so I just, you know, took inventory of, you know, what was going on and made sure I kept, you know, good books and I kept, you know, the data that I needed to make decisions. And I think, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs, you know, they may not do that very well is really keeping the data and making decisions based off of the data. So, yep, that's, I don't know, it was just, I just knew it. I knew, you know, in the beginning kind of what my capacity was. And so I just shot for that. Just real quick, beyond the, the daycare, can you share, what are your other businesses that you have <laughs> so folks are aware? Yeah, so I have owned a trucking company. I also own, well, Millennia Strategies. So basically um, going through the, building the daycare, I quickly knew that, wow, my skill set is like really good. Like, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs may not have the background of like being able to get funding and, you know, how, how money works and commerce works and how to use other people's money to grow your business. And so I started to, um, you know, consult. So I do consulting. So I have a consulting firm that I help young millionaires grow their businesses and scale using other people's money. So, yeah. So I think kind of dovetailing off of that as we stated in the beginning of this, it's a podcast for the South Bend Elkhart region. So I'm curious from both of you, you've mentioned a few things, but what has been, who, what, where has been helpful to the two of you as you've worked through your business processes and grown your businesses, mm -hmm. sold your businesses? What does that, that support structure look like for you? And I'll, I'll start with Joel. 
so uh, yeah, family uh, was obviously friends and family were a big part. That's always usually how the um, if we talk about entrepreneur first money in. And um, then I would say the community, we had a lot of community investors when we first started. We also worked a lot with the Idea Center and the, the local, the professors at Notre Dame. And then we collaborated and kind of just, you know, worked as a group together. So it was kind of, I think it was very unique, but it was definitely a huge team effort. It wasn't like any one individual. I was just a part of the team. You know, I was just, um, maybe I was uh, out front, some of the time, but most, but it was just a massive group of people that were all working together to, to make those different companies happen. Um, and so a lot of times we didn't know exactly what we were doing, but we kind of knew like to Nick's point to that you're like, you know where you want to go. So you're, you're trying to look at what other people have done and, and try to learn fast, fail fast, I guess, and, uh, and correct those mistakes as you make them along the way. So for me, I was very intentional about networking in the beginning, um, just going to every business event, every entrepreneurship event. Um, I learned about the Spark program. And so this was in year two. I learned about the Spark because I knew I needed a business plan to go you know, buy commercial property. So that was very instrumental in helping me grow. And just all, that whole process of creating a business plan was awesome. And so as far as people, like I self-funded most of my business. I don't come from a you know family with you know a lot of resources, and so it was you know home equities and you know refinancing and credit cards and just you know my own savings account. So I didn't really have. Once I got into business, I was able to um, get access to capital you know through bank loans, CDFIs. Um, so that's kind of how I had to bootstrap it. One question we talked about in preparing for this. So for those that aren't aware. You don't currently reside in, in our region. You still have businesses in our region, but you've relocated to Houston, which we're happy for Houston, whatever. Um, but I think it's important to share why you made that decision, if you wouldn't mind. Sure. So um, after graduating from high school, I moved to Indianapolis. I was there for 10 years. I moved back to South Bend. And so I was in South Bend for 10 years before moving to Houston last year. And so I feel like the 10 years that I was back in South Bend, you know, I grew the daycare. I started, you know, a trucking company. I started a consulting firm. And I just feel like I did everything that South Bend allowed me to do. Back in 2020, I, it was really apparent to me that it was so difficult for me to find like my tribe of, you know, minority women who are seven figure earners, you know, and it was hard for me to, you know, be inspired. And so I was already traveling to Houston, um, working and I had clients there. And so that's kind of why I made the move, but it was just really difficult for me to find other women like me in business. And so I knew I needed to, you know, spread my wings and go to a bigger place where I can find and be around these women to be more inspired. So I would say to that for entrepreneurial folks in the room, it sounds like we have a problem that we need to solve in this region so we don't lose any more Ramels and so we get Ramel back. Yes. Yeah. I love the offhanded, just started a trucking company, you know, whatever. <laughs> Twice now, well done. Uh, talk, Ramel, talk to us a little bit about your why. You have an amazing purpose-driven plan for your life. Can you share more about that? Of course. So I'm very intentional about the three guiding factors of most of my decisions that I make. So it's the freedom. So making sure that I have freedom to move around, do the things that I enjoy. Um, impact 
is huge. Um, and I talked about that already, but, um, and also just resources. Resources, you know, not only to support my family, but also to help other people. You know, so even getting into philanthropy or how can I, you know, give back to early stage entrepreneurs, those three things are really important to me. And so that's what I use to make business decisions, personal decisions. It's like, is this gonna allow me to make impact? Can I, you know, get the resources I need? And, you know, will it allow me the freedom that I want? Love it, thanks. Joel, I wanna dive back. You talked about Atlas 3D uh, at a high, high level, but the technology um, is pretty practical for probably a lot of people in this room. Can you speak a little bit more about what Atlas 3D did you know, what the client, the purpose of it, as well as uh, another point of interest that people may have is an exit event. What happens when you sell a company? Can you kind of walk us through what Atlas 3D was and then how those relationships developed? Sure. So the, uh, the technology was, um, the difficulty was and the government brought forth this problem. So it always came from private industry, but government having also the same issue. And it was to solve the problem with, um, in metal 3D printing, it's very difficult to solve the distortion that happens when you're printing the metal because you're essentially welding every layer together and everything kind of warps in all different directions. So there's a lot of uh, thermal mechanical issues that happen with that. So uh, Johnson & Johnson, uh, Depew, which is a local company, but uh, global and um, University of Pittsburgh and then Notre Dame and then ourselves got together. And there's always a component of a university, big business and a small business to build these uh, technologies together. And um, it started with a $1.4 million grant. And then we uh, had to have a tech transition. So you had to have a plan to transition the technology either to a company or to an acquisition. And we decided to do a startup but yeah, the technology, um, you know, these builds, these titanium builds that happen, whether it's in, you know, 3D printing a hip or a knee, everybody's, uh, if you have anybody, everybody knows somebody that has some type of uh, implant and there's lots of spinal and then head and everything that goes into that. Um, so stainless titanium, these builds are extremely expensive. Titanium is like powdered titanium is like $600 a pound. So if you do a build that could take several you know, 20 hours or something, you could, uh, you know, scrap $40,000 worth in just one build. So we were able to solve this uh, problem really fast by using machine learning. And we were able to understand the mechanical property. So it usually take like an engineer, like several days and then some supercomputers to figure this out. Well, we were able to do it like in um, a few minutes with our uh, machine learning technology that we developed. So after we did that, then we like, hey, this sounds like a great thing to do the comp you know, to build a company, to build this in the cloud. And we started Atlas 3D, got funding from Elevate Ventures and outsourced, and then some other uh, investors also came in. Started building technology and then realized that it would need to be part of like a larger package. And that's when Siemens and General Electric and some other large companies said were contacting us and we were collaborating. And what finally drove us to an acquisition was there was all of our competitors were being bought up at the time. So we realized this is a good opportunity for the region, for investors to, um, and we were always about shareholder returns. So we wanted to say uh, we could either raise another round or it was time to, um, you know, look. So we actually hired a, an investment bank because we didn't, once again, we didn't know what we were doing as far as acquisitions. So we're going to hire an investment bank to run a process 
And um, anyway, Siemens ended up being the company that purchased that that software. That and that, and then we have several. All all the employees still work there at the at Siemens, which is pretty exciting. Um, so they're still running the and the platform's now been absorbed into other Siemens tools. So it's being used. People don't even know they're using it now in some of the Siemens products that they use. But so that's kind of exciting. But yeah. So that event, a lot of entrepreneurs have this vision of if I sell a company, then fill in the blank, right? buy a jet, go to the beach, keep working, I don't know. Was it a culminating event for you or was it another day of, of work? Now I get to do, how did it affect your life? It was really exciting. I think it helped me understand more of like how investment banks work, how acquisition works, what is you know working with a Fortune 500, 100 company and understanding that a little bit more. So that gave us, um, at the time we had started, when that was getting acquired, we had started SimbaChain. Um, and that, once again, it was another publicly funded grant that then we realized, hey, there's a, there's a spin out here. And um, yeah, so that's, that, I, I wouldn't call it, it was a super exciting time. Um, my dad went to New York and met with the CFO from Siemens. And, you know, it was like our CEO went and it was pretty exciting times to kind of just be in that, see what that environment even looks like. And, you know, those boardrooms, but I think that it gave us ability to kind of do bigger things like what we do with Simba. So I'm going to ask a question that wasn't in our prep questions, sorry. Um, but I'm curious, so we are aware you're 35 now. You're relatively speaking young, and again, not going to ask for age, but I'm curious. I'm older. Yeah, a little bit older, maybe. Uh, but still, both of you have a lot of life to live, and you've already lived a lot of life. So one could say, I'm just going to cruise, you know, I'm going to go to the beach, I'm going to get in my plane, I'm going to X, Y, Z, but both of you are not doing those things, right? Like, you are still waking up, doing things, being great. What do you think it is about your personalities, or perhaps someone has told you this, that it's because you have X that you do this? Um, what do you think it is? Like, that entrepreneurial spirit, what, what motivates you, what drives you to not just right off into the sunset. There's just so much more to do. <laughs> like, why stop now? You just keep building other companies. I mean, that's kind of what my plan is. I can't see myself like retiring and like, you know, not doing anything now. Like I have another good, probably 15 years left to like work and build companies. And, you know, I do wanna, you know, sell a company. I do wanna have a publicly traded company. I'm working on a tech startup now. So that's kind of where a lot of my focus is. But it's, it's too much more to do you know, too much more impact to make. Okay, follow up and then I'll come to you for a, an answer. Real quick, I want to ask one question yes. about this. So, why? It's fun. <laughs> there it is. Okay, thank you. Joel. Well, uh, my daughter's going to be a senior next year and she's going to college and that's really expensive. So, I mean, that's, <laughs> and I have three others right behind her. So, you know, that's, that's my motivation for... We didn't realize, me and my wife didn't realize, hey, we have four kids, they're four years apart, but that's 16 years of college. Mm. So didn't really do, do that calculation. Earlier. Yeah, good luck. <laughs> okay, so I think we do have time, unless you have any, any questions you want to ask before we open it. One more. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned a tech company. Sure, if you want, or that, if that's uh, in dark mode, don't worry about it. But I was going to ask the question, what's next? You already answered that. So Joel, uh, what's, what are you working on now and what are you excited about for the near future? So we have one another internal developed 
product that we're working on and we use it every, it actually runs our business. Um, so we think that that could be huge for manufacturers um, just from a quality, understanding your costs, profitability uh, kind of thing. So we think it could, but that's, that's kind of our next thing. And sure, I'll share. Um, so owning a childcare, you know, I'm, I'm all about solutions. So I'm very solution driven. I love solving problems, but on any given day at any childcare program, there's empty seats. You know, kids are sick, um, they're on vacation. And so the solution that I'm working on is matching empty seats with parents who need drop-in care. So, yay! <laughs> Early adopter section right. over here. Customer validation is what yes. that's called. Right. Yes. Okay, so we do have time for audience questions. I'm going to preface this with... For the sake of Michael editing this podcast, we ask for no profound, prolific, long-winded statements. <laughs> we appreciate you have things to share, but would ask that you let our two guests share. So if you have a question for either of them, uh, Nick or, or actually I will, because you're attached, uh, come down and, and answer your, or get you the microphone. Does anyone have any questions? All right, well, give me one second. Holy smokes. <laughs> Run. <laughs> Hello, I'm Rick Williams uh, with the Notre Dame South Bend uh, uh, EPA program with Michael Morris. You're related to Marguerite? That's my grandmother. That's your grandma. And she was responsible for the land development that brought Eddie Commons to fruition. Mm -hmm. And then we should applaud her because her <laughs> grandmother was a part of that. But we have about 30 folks here from the entrepreneurship program that are here today. My uh, two alumni, my son and I decided that there is an opportunity to bring them here. Jeremy Williams working with the folks. How do you, off the, obviously those are not customers. Those are other people that want to run daycare centers. And you got folks that have restaurants and folks here that are running uh, different types of boutique businesses. You come from South Bend. What can you do to talk directly to them about being encouraged because some of them feel like throwing in the towel sometimes. Mm -hmm. Many of them have come today and they had to get off work to come today because they are, they're not fortunate enough to subsidize mm -hmm. something like this. Can you encourage them? Of course. Um, I would say first and foremost to find your people. It definitely, you need a tribe and people around you that understand you know, what you go through. In my early you know, years of entrepreneurship, I didn't really have a lot of people that I knew that were owning, you know, own businesses. So who was I supposed to talk to, to talk about like my day? Like this is really difficult or just the challenges of growing a business. So definitely be encouraged and find your people. You have to really, you know, network. And I try to, you know, on my social media, just really, you know, give tips and just encouraging words and, you know, things to make it a little bit easier for others. So just that impact. I'm Rhonda Douglas. I am also an entrepreneur. Let's speak to the mommy side, because I know you're a mama. So break it all down. You're a woman, you're a black woman, but you're a mama. So you got two babies. Yes. How do you balance it all in the early stages? And I'm talking about when the babies were, mm -hmm. you going to school, dropping them off, still have to, you know, sports and all that. So tell us how you... Um, if so, there is a balance. Yeah, I don't really believe in balance. Um, how can you have a work-life balance? It just, I don't think that's possible all the time, but you just have to do your best. I was intentional about not having mom guilt. And so once I, that clicked in my head to like make that decision, I think it was more smooth sailing from there because you can definitely 
resent, you know, the amount of time that you're working and worry about, you know, your children resenting the amount of time that you're working. And so um, I make sure that they understand. It was easier when they were coming to the daycare with me when they were little, but they didn't want to be at the daycare 16 hours a day, you know? So just, I think now it's a little easier because they can see, you know, they're seven and 10 now. So it's like, you know, I can have those conversations, you know, I'm, I'm traveling, you know, to work and we travel a lot. So, you know, now that they're older, you know, they can see like mommy's like doing some pretty big things and they encourage me um, because they've been with me through this whole process and just not having guilt when I have to, you know, travel or, you know, stay late, you know, and not do things or not show up for things. And luckily I have a family and people around me that if I can't go, somebody's going to go and represent me. And so not having mom guilt was huge for me. So I'm going to ask a follow-up question from over here to Joel. You have four children. Are they also using a metal wire brush on equipment? Like what is their involvement? Actually, my son is like really, my, my daughter's working at the plant now, but my son is, He's all about like, okay, what am I doing this summer? What am I, my cousin going to do? And he's wanting me to line up. So yeah, they're excited to kind of, you know, get out there and, and do some things. So, but they also have fun and, you know, play sports and have school and a lot of other activities that they're involved in. Hello, my name is Christina. This question is for both of you guys. I have a business Williams Development family and that's construction rehabbing. And I just started my classy booth. I have my first gig with... Uh, South Bend schools for helping the kids with their proms. So I have everything for them to make it memorable. What I'm trying to do now after that, I need a storefront and I need grant writing. I need uh, information on grant writing so that I can get into that, so that I can write a grant so that I can get me a storefront. Yeah, so I think, um, so from, from a grant writing standpoint, I know that there are several organizations that um, probably Bethany can even connect you with on the South Bend startup um, and the regional partnerships. So I don't know exactly what uh, grants are available for Indiana, but I know that there's, you know, there's several out there that you can get. And then there's, they have a lot of, um, some of the groups that um, are local are capable of writing. They usually use university students that are like from Purdue and, and IU and Notre Dame that uh, can help in that space. So that, that might be somebody that Bethany can connect you with. Yeah, I think Bethany is probably the best uh, resource for that. I also think that maybe it's a, a myth that, you know, businesses or startups get free money to start their businesses. Um, I didn't have that experience. And so I know there is industry specific funding, you know, sometimes depending on like what you do, but just not to completely rely on, you know, a grant to start a business. And so what I had to do was, you know, use, you know, equity in my home or my savings. And so there are different ways that you can fund your own business and then, you know, get with, you know, different partnerships, you know, in the area to kind of help you move from there. Um, thanks for your story, both of you. And it, it's clear that, that entrepreneurship and building a business takes place on Main Street and, and yet you described the experience of dealing with investment bankers and a, a global BMF like Siemens um, and all the resources that we talk about uh, that Bethany's team brings to the table. How do you tap into those as an individual? Can you talk about that journey for as an entrepreneur, how you tapped into resources to help you finding your, your whether it be your personal families or your economic families? 
Um, I have not yet had like an you know investment, but I mean I have you know like I said I I've been using bank funding, um, you know CDFIs, just making sure that my luckily I had great personal credit in the beginning, um, so it's a lot easier to build business credit when your personal credit is great. And so I was very intentional. Every business that I've started, you know, I made sure in the beginning that I started to build business credit. You know, all of my businesses have credit cards, lines of credits, you know, own property. And so that's kind of what I have done. Can you, can you explain the CDFI model a little bit? Yes. So CDFI is basically community, community development financial institution. So it's a a different way to seek funding that's not a bank. So banks typically have a very structured box that you have to fit in to get funding. And so you have to have a certain credit score and you have to fit in this box. Well, CDFIs, they make it a little bit easier for people who don't always fit inside of the box. And so you typically, when you do your application, you're going to talk to someone on the phone, they're going to hear your story. And, you know, there may be, you know, a board of people who listen to like, you know, just what your goals are and can make a decision, not just do you fit and you check all these boxes. So it's typically a little bit easier to get a, you know, to get CDFI funding than just going to a traditional bank. And then I, I was just going to mention that small business innovation research.gov, SBIR.gov, you can go there as where, because I was in the manufacturing, you know, technology. And then uh, Kinetic, uh, Elevate puts on the Kinetic um, Conference uh, annual meeting every year, um, and that's a great place to meet uh, a lot of venture capitalists, investors, and then and that's down in Indy. And then there's uh, also some other groups that are in Chicago, like MXD um, is, and then MHub uh, is where there's a lot of incubation happening. So that's a lot of alphabet soup. It is. <laughs> Tons of acronyms. Uh, when I was new to this world, it took me about a year to chart all of these. It is not an easy process, not for the faint heart. One of those, one of the um, very important ones that I know that ITMCO and Simba has been able to take advantage of is SBIR. It may seem a little nebulous to a lot of people, but it's an extremely important program. Maybe could you share a little bit about uh, what that is and how it's impacted your so, journey? So any agency that spends over a billion dollars, so EPA, DOE, De De Department of Defense, Department of Agriculture, all those groups have to be part of a, a percentage of their spend has to go to small business. And so that SBR.gov has all that. Um, and there's also a roadshow that comes to every state so you can go meet all the people that are buying, that are saying, hey, I need um, this item. Can you develop it? Or can you, does your product already offer that? And that's a great, so, but to Nick's point, you have to go out and research where all these things are happening. And to Ramal's point, you know, you have to go and and network with these people, with these groups, mm -hmm. because it's, it's not like picking up the phone and talking to them. It's it's really personal. So it's it's a lot of hard work. I I mean, it's 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 hard work. <laughs> so we're gonna take our last question right here. Hi hey, hi. This question is from Ramel. Okay, two questions real quick. One is is that I believe you said that you had a financial background. Mm -hmm. What I find really interesting, because I hadn't heard about your daycare centers before, is I know a lot of people started daycare centers, but none of them thought about um, expanding like you did. And I'm wondering how much did your background in your finances play in that? And then the other question real quick is, did you do your daycare first and then build that up and then move on? Or did you do them sim simultaneously? 
I did the daycare first. So my daycare opened in 2015. Uh, Millennial Strategies, I started that in 2020. Um, but absolutely, it helped. My finance background helped me to grow quickly. And so like when you're an entrepreneur, you're not... you. It's unrealistic to think that you should know everything. You're not going to know every single thing. A lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of people in general just don't have the background of credit and how to run a business and banking and like commerce. And so because I did have that background of, you know, finance school and, you know, economics and all the classes I took in college and working at a bank and, you know, being a lender and doing loans, all of that stuff. Yes, it absolutely helped propel me and, and helped me grow faster because it was just things that I knew. Um, I knew about, you know, how to get a loan and how the process worked and underwriting and what do they really want to see. And so how to, you know, make sure my application made sense and how do I articulate you know, where I am and where I want to go and how I want my business to grow to a banker. So I, all of that really matters. And so because I had that background, it just made it easier for me to, you know, to copy and paste. So as we wrap up, I have a hundred more questions. So we may have to do a version two or 2.0 of this conversation. But last question is, how do people follow you, get in touch with your companies? How do they find you? So for Millennia Strategies, it's um, consultmillennia.net. Um, I will ask, as a birthday present, if everybody can go follow me on Instagram. <laughs> um, it's Ramel's World. And yeah, so I have, um, I'm on Facebook, Instagram, and we actually just announced today that um, Bright Beginnings is going 24 hours this summer. So that's a big announcement. There's really not a, you know, a 24-hour option, you know, as far as, you know, level three pass quality. And so I think that'll be great for the city. Uh, yeah, I'm just, I'm on LinkedIn, and then you can, uh, and then our, our company, itmco.com. Thank you both very much, and thank all of you for, for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.